Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel. Say hello, panel. Hello. Hello, panel. Hello, panel. Uh, joining us today, I see DW. Groovy. There's Greg. Howdy. I see Siobhan. Hello, everybody. And Axel's with us. Hello again. And uh, today... We've got a, a smaller cast, and uh, we're going to talk about a little bit different subject than we the heavy subjects we've been talking about these last couple of weeks. Uh, we're just going to talk about the leaked script, the leaked pilot episode script that that's uh, going around on the internet. Uh, we're we uh, we're, well, I'll be right up front with everybody. We tried to do this once already. We tried to do a fun thing where we read the script and and did it with funny voices and and stuff like that and uh, yeah it, it it wasn't working it really wasn't working no, <laughs> no. Uh, but us. but we do still have the recording so I might still uh, use that for for blackmail purposes at a later date and time uh, yeah so but, everybody stay on Rourke's good side here yeah uh, but instead we're gonna we're just gonna talk about what's in that script uh what the differences are and and how we think that they affect the storytelling or and 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 our thoughts on them um so uh to get right into it we'll just dive in head first uh this is the script from uh episode one leave takings uh this was rafe's original script that he wrote um it's like 2018 yeah um and he he we know that Rafe originally wanted about an hour and a half to two hour long opening episode. And what we saw was an hour. So we know that a lot had to get cut and uh, we're going to talk about some of those cuts. Um, our, our first cut was uh, the, the original intro. Um, it was a scene in the white tower um, on a tower balcony, overlooking Tarvalon at night or at dusk. And it took place between uh, Moraine and Guitara Moroso. Uh, Guitara Moroso being the, in the books, she was the Keeper of the Chronicles at the time, um, 20 years ago when when Rand was initially born. Um, but it does, does not say in this script that she is the Keeper of the Chronicles. It just says that she is an old Aes Sedai with white eyes. See, uh, Moraine describing excuse me, describing what she's seeing to Gitara and uh, Gitara, you know, waxing philosophical for a moment. And then Gitara gets, gets seized, um, kind of taken by, by a moment, by, by a seizure really. Um, and, and falls on the ground and it's like, you know, digging at the balcony and, and there are, you know, leaving bloody bits behind and screaming in agony as she's having the vision of the dragon being reborn. And this was our original opening to the show. Um, and I'm just going to throw it to the panel and start seeing what kind of thoughts we have. Sure. It, it's interesting. It, it has it with Guitara sort of in the the person of the, you know, sort of in the body of the mother, experiencing the same things that the mother is experiencing at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, so you you get to see the baby being born possibly you get to see the baby which could be a clue to uh to to the baby's identity to the yeah. dragon's identity uh but it's not really it's not really there um but funny enough has that note of you cannot see the baby's genitalia 
so that it leaves the cloud of what gender the dragon is. Yeah. Well, it says you can't see its gender, not necessarily its genitalia. Well, it specifically says you can't see its genitalia, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't. I mean, well, it says you cannot see its gender, but a baby doesn't really have a jet. Like, doesn't you can't see a gender because it's a social construct. You can see yeah. genitalia because they're bits. So, right. But I, well, I, I'm sure that yeah. the script probably didn't write that. But the the contrast is that it doesn't say that you can't see the baby's skin color. Right. Which means yeah. that when it was written, that wasn't considered to be a thing. Um, so on the one hand, they're setting it up for the identity of the dragon is going to be a mystery at the beginning of the series. Or hair color also. Yeah. If it yep. came out with the red hair, then... Yep. Yep. Yeah, my, have to my, be completely bald. Yeah, my thoughts here are either they had not decided yet on the idea that they were going to try to hide the identity of the dragon reborn or they had not gone all the way through the casting process yet and and did not realize the range of skin tones they were going to be working with but Certainly, you know, showing you that baby was going this... to give us a huge clue if, if you can't tell the skin color of the baby the skin given that uh, Aiel are supposed to be so incredibly pale and red and red hair yeah. You're going to be able to see from the mo- what little you can see of the mother, you know, even if it's just her arms, yeah. that her skin tone right. matches. Rand. But as when we talked about this earlier, I like the idea. It would have been a neat idea if they had just used the audio. In other words, still showing uh, the two ladies having, you know, going through the vision, but but you don't see the mother, you don't see the baby, you don't see anything. You just hear those sounds, and then later when we get the blood snow you could hear that same soundtrack played and watch people's eyes realize that the birth of the dragon was this Aiel being born, which kind of then sends you down the the path of Rand. Yeah, so that gives you the vision right there. So we don't actually see the vision, but we hear the sounds of the vision Mm -hmm. is what you're saying. Right. Okay. That that makes sense. That would be cool because, yeah, if you see it, that's a big giveaway. So I think that the script does say that it was supposed to be a mystery because Guitara's line is find the baby Moraine, kill it, not right. kill him or yeah. kill her. So yeah. choosing yeah. to have to, to keep that, like it, keep it ambiguous to yeah. keep everybody guessing. Yeah. Until I like episode. DW's idea of, of keeping the audio then, because we've even talked about this. Like even when we knew who the dragon was, we're all like, no, it could be a trick. It could be a trick. Yes. <laughs> That would have kind of cemented that this is in fact the dragon. Our, this is the person that lack of trust. <laughs> that's true. There would have been a, there would have been a payoff to gain trust. So yeah, that well, that, that, that was a fabulous suggestion. The idea of also not having like the the audience have to be told, hey, this is that. It's the the you know, the opening scene would tell them that that was the birth of the dragon, and then the moment in the blood snow when we hear like the same baby cry and the same noises being set up to it, like everything being the same people watching the show would suddenly dawn of, oh my gosh, we're watching the birth of the dragon. You wouldn't need words. You could mm. just have yep. that laid yeah. out. Right. Yeah. And then having yeah. Tam yeah. show up there we, would just cement it. I guess a reason to drop this is to not start the show with um, uh, exposition. Yeah, that that's kind of where I'm feeling that came from too. Plus, it's also another setting that they have to get in there that's that's you know 
Tarvalon is is a pretty big set to have to also include on top of everything else that they're including in in the first episode. Yeah, in the pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can see why they went with the Leandrin opening instead, because that doesn't require a gigantic set. That just requires, you know, let's find some forest somewhere. Yeah. And uh, and that opening, while it's nothing from the book, it's nothing that we've seen before. I thought that opening was pretty good simply because it immediately cemented the power structure of this world like like once you see that opening you're not confused about how the power structure in this world works anymore and and that's why i felt like it was it was well it wasn't the greatest opening i've ever seen it was a decent opening especially for for people new to the universe i think yeah agreed it it has the advantage that it's introducing a major character that's not going to die mm-hmm. right away which is kind of another problem with with having you know like a you know here's the prophet they die you know i guess yeah. maybe the idea would be if she'd been in there they would have used her to do bits of narration over yeah. the course of the series um and i think the opening also kind of creates it makes it easy to to identify the conflict between moraine and leandrin uh, anybody else have any more thoughts on that opening scene? Well, just, you know, going back to when we first did the episode after the first episode, when we did our recording of a reaction to the first episode, um, we we had made comments about Leandrin and not really knowing anything about her. And you were talking about how uh, dead on those were and not realizing that that setup was planting a seed that wasn't going to bloom for another like five episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of a neat little, little like, Oh, we're going to plant this character. You're not really going to need to know much about this character for a while, but you're going to, when that person shows up, you will know right out the gate. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. They, they, they weren't playing around with Leandrin's character at that point. They, they no. were just like, you know, later on when she comes in, you might, wonder which team she plays for but this is going to tell you right off the bat yep yeah um so uh moving on our second changed scene or missing scene i guess is more like it and this is the missing scene from the trailer that a lot of people pointed out we never saw that scene where Egwene emerges out of the the pool of water with all the the colored paint on her um, and that's the next scene that's, that's in this script. Um, we find out that that is the first part of the, the women's circle initiation. Um, Egwene stands around in, in the middle of that pool where, where later on Nynaeve, uh, slaughters the Trolloc. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and, and hides in that milky water. Ooh, that just, that just made a weird parallel for me. I hadn't considered when we were talking about this before, but. She slaughters the Trolloc. She also slaughters the lamb. Yes. Yes. Yep. I hadn't um, made that parallel. Like, oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, yeah, in this scene, uh, we, we see the women from the women's circle just surround Egwene and pour these different colored paints on her one at a time. And, you know, with each paint, they, they say some sacred words, you know, and, and in the end, with all their powers combined, she becomes Captain Planet. Um, <laughs> and... And uh, the the red, the red paint was not actually paint, as as you were just saying. That was actually Nynaeve coming in and and slaughtering a sheep and and putting the sheep's blood on her to stand in for the red. Um, and yeah, that is an interesting parallel to, to what happens later with uh, Nynaeve and the Trolloc in, in that same pool. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then they they take uh, her out of the pool, and that's when we see the the scene that we saw with her getting yeeted off the cliff and and into the water. And, After getting the braid, so they at least they at least took care of her hair first. Yeah, yeah. Um, something I noticed from the script that wasn't obvious in the show is the braid that they're braiding contains pieces of all of their hair. All of the other women in the women's circle snipped off a piece of hair and braided it into Egwene's braid. And and I I wish that had been more clear in the show because that is such a beautiful little detail. And it's not even in the books, but it's it's a great it's just a great thing uh, the for this culture. It it just it feels right. genuine. It feels original and it 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 even makes that that scene later on when the white cloaks roughly rip her braid out that much more just just horrible. Yes. In my opinion. Agreed. Agreed. It really shows that sense of community among the council. Yeah. Yeah. I'll also we, say the other thing that oh good. Oh, I was going to say, because of the fact that they each braid part of each other's hair into their braid, they literally have a part of the rest of them with them at all times. Right, right. And, just and the, the, line, the symbology of that is just beautiful. Yeah, and one yeah. of the lines that carried over into the, into, into the actual episode is, to be a woman is to be alone and never alone. So that yeah. is, that, that just is nice and poignant with that. That's, I, I, I'm, I agree. I wish they would have shown that. That also makes Layla's refusal to participate a lot more significant. Ooh, yeah. Oh, it does. Mm. It does indeed. Yeah. Well, um, the other one I noticed that was not as clear in what we saw that was clear in this script is that Nynaeve had no clue Egwene was going to. Or Egwene had no clue that Nynaeve was going to basically push her off that cliff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then our next missing scene, um, it's not really a missing scene, more of a replaced scene or a misplaced scene. Uh, we see parts of this scene later in, in the first episode, but it's, uh, Rand and Tam walking on the quarry road towards town with Bella, the, the cart horse and a cart full of brandy, uh, for, for the celebrations. Um, and this was actually the original opening shot of the book. Um, when, when the wind arose and blew westward or blew eastward from the mountains of mist, it blew straight to where Matt and Tam or Rand and Tam were. And, and that was the opening of the entire book series. Um, and it's just them walking into town and Rand gets spooked because he hears a noise. And then he does actually see the fade on the road behind them. And when he turns to get Tam's attention and turns back, it's gone. Um, and they kind of left all of that out. They they did do the the Matt or Rand and Tam. I don't know why I keep wanting to say Matt. Apparently, it's the same problem I have with you, Dave, David. <laughs> you mean <laughs> Greg? You, Greg, yes. <laughs> just, I was just showing the exact same thing. I always call Greg David for some goddamn reason, and I don't know why because I know Greg's name. And I'm having the same problem right now with Rand and Matt. I keep saying Matt when I mean Rand. And it, yeah. Well, I if you got Matt and Tam mixed up, that's easy enough because they're yeah, the same yeah, letters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> same letters in reverse. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, like I was saying, that was the original uh, opening. We saw that scene in the show. They put it a little more out of order than this. And they cut off the part with the with the fade being visible, but we still did see that scene a little bit. Yes. 
Um, and then our next scene that, that is missing entirely from the show is uh, at the Ibarra Forge, uh, where we see Perrin and Layla, and they're, they're forging something together. And uh, Perrin um, is wondering why Layla didn't go to the ceremony today. And Layla just says, there's too much to do before tomorrow. And, and you definitely get this feeling that there is something off between Perrin and Layla. And Layla is clearly upset about Egwene for some reason. Yes. Yeah. yeah and, I feel this, this plays out the, the whole concept that Perrin has interest in Egwene more, way more than when, what we got. Right. Yeah. Yeah, when when we didn't get anything on that until episode eight in the series, and and I still don't believe it. I in the series it read to me like Nynaeve was seeing something that wasn't there, and and even Perrin and Gwen were like, "What are you on about?" Um, but this makes it much more of a setup that yeah, actually that was what Nynaeve was seeing. So yeah. So I do kind of hope that the reason that they dropped the scene was because they wanted to downplay. Perrin being infatuated with Egwene. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, there, there was a lot going on, and that was something that you know, just, just having that as a, as a thing in the background, just colors the relationship possibly too much. Yeah, yeah I, re- I really like the dynamic of the group of friends who are practically siblings because they've spent so much time together. Throwing in one romance is fine, but putting in a, a, a triangle. triangle would have felt icky yeah. <laughs> i guess yeah, i don't know, know how to put yeah, it and, and as a book reader i can say that perrin's relationship to Egwene in the books was never any anything like that perrin always thought of Egwene like a little sister and was very protective of her in the way that that large older brothers are of little sisters so yeah that that's that's why i never got that read off of it um but yeah, that's that's uh, our next missing scene. Um, then we have a little scene between Egwene and Nynaeve that, that's when Nynaeve uh, finds her coming out of the river after after she floats downriver. Um, it's not really a necessary scene, but we do get a little bit of information there um, where Egwene is saying that she needs to talk to Rand first before she makes her decision if she's going to be a wisdom's apprentice or not. And uh, Nynaeve's kind of like, that's not Rand's decision. And Egwene's like, yeah, but he's still somebody that I should run that by first, I think. So. Yeah. Taking consideration of people in your life rather than just making your decisions, regardless of people in your life is one way to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and the wisdoms never marry, you know, that's going to affect an ongoing current relationship so yeah you do want to discuss that with the with the person that you're in the relationship with but it also makes sense of uh Egwene not necessarily i mean sorry Nynaeve not necessarily getting that right so Nynaeve has has avoided a relationship as a wisdom and also that Nynaeve's made a decision she knows what needs to happen next there's no point in anybody else talking about it right you know i think this scene really sets it tells us a lot about both characters right at the get-go and how yes, they yeah. relate to other people. Yeah. That Egwene is really takes other people into consideration and Nynaeve is just sort of a lone wolf. Not necessarily lone wolf, but yeah. lo- she's in oh, charge. Yeah. Right, right. She Her destiny is hers and hers alone. Yeah. yeah. Other people listen to her. She cares about other people, but they are hers to care about. 
Right. Um, then moving on to our next uh, missing scene. Uh, this happens after our first scene in Inside the Wine Spring Inn, uh, after Matt goes off to chase down Dania to try to get that gold bracelet from her. And we find out uh, exactly how he gets that gold bracelet from her. Um, and it's it's a little... Uh, it, it doesn't feel... It, it doesn't feel like it fits, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. that, that, that's my opinion as a book reader, but it doesn't feel like it fits. Uh, this scene, Matt and Dania um, end up in the horse stables, and Matt ends up with his head up under Dania's skirt. Um, we'll, we'll just say humming his ABCs. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and in the process of all this happening, her... her uh, bracelet falls off and and after they're done uh, Matt just kind of grabs the bracelet when she doesn't notice and and that's how Matt ends up with the bracelet um see I think when we talked about this episode we we had a lot of questions back and forth as to how Matt might have gotten it I kind of liked that nebulous feel that yeah, we weren't sure if it was given to her if it were given to him if he won it off of her or uh, I believe as Greg has put it he earned it uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I have to agree I, I preferred the kind of ambiguity yeah it, it made his character the, more interesting yes I think though even like I think this still works well like it works well as a scene that provides that ambiguity because he does earn it, right? It's it's clearly yeah. written that he, he he did earn it, but she wasn't necessarily giving it to him. Yes, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> she didn't choose to pay him, but you know, I mean, basically, you know, he's prostitute. You know, you, you could read it as he's prostituting himself. He's a bit sketchy, but he's not very sketchy. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. He didn't outright steal it. Well, I, I think we will point out that at the end of that scene, she attempts to reciprocate and he, noticing the, the gold uh, bracelet on the floor and knowing that if she ends up now on her knees, she will notice the bracelet, says, no, 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 you can pay me back some other time. So you know, there, there's still a little bit of, of rapscallion happening there for sure. I will admit I didn't put that together. Me I neither. didn't realize that's what was why he was passing on it. I yeah. was thinking he was yeah. just like, ah, oh, we're kind of low on time. I gotta get back and check on my sisters. I didn't get that. He's like, no, if you if you move, you'll see that you dropped your bracelet. That yeah. oh, that is yeah, that is it. That's actually pretty great. In that, yeah. yeah, like, and and also the scene notes are that the sex scenes are supposed to be to demonstrate women in control and women being you know getting pleasure rather than being object of men's desires which comes yeah. across as very much a counter to how game of thrones did sex it's better that they had less sex because it doesn't add to the story necessarily yeah. but it's and it, it it's it still it demonstrates that the script writer is is pointing in the right direction yeah. yeah, it it goes back to that discussion we had about the male gaze in the last episode, mm -hmm. which yeah, I was going to bring um, that up, even yeah. though it's intended to be an empowering scene for a woman who is involved with it, it's it's still a gratuitous sex scene. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, and and my thoughts on this, um, the books we we just covered this in the last episode. Also, the books don't really have 
sex scenes in them. There are, there's one scene I can think of where sex is happening, but the sex isn't described. Um, it, it's much, it's, it's much more of a, a kind of poetic statement than like, you know, this is what's happening. Um, other than that, any sex scene in the book takes place off screen. It, it's a, it's a, they wander off into the bedroom, a fade to black, a whatever, but we don't see the sex scenes. And I think that putting that, a sex scene like that front and center within the first 10 minutes of, of the show or the first 20 minutes of the show, I think that removing that was a good idea because I think that would have really shocked a lot of the book readers in a way that, that might have been hard to come back from. Do you, is it opinion. possible that this scene was put in for the benefit of network executives to say, yeah, it's an adult show, we've got sex in it, but with the intent of dropping it that, before that's, production? It, that's entirely possible. I, I can see that being entirely possible. But we do also have another sexual scene later in the episode as we're, about, as we're going to see. So I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Yeah. Talking about the, that sex scene, our next missing scene is also a, a – a sexy scene um and it's a scene that we knew was there because it kind of did it like the books and it faded to black and that's rand and degwayne having their their fun in in the uh the front room of front room of the wine spring inn um, and we just got to fade to black in in the show but in the script here it says that a little bit more than that happened um mostly involving Rand's hands uh, doing various things that I'm not going to describe, but I think you can probably figure it out. Um, what do we think about this? Yeah, that's that's a little gratuitous there. Um, you know, it, it, it gives pretty much the, you know, the, the same, their, their, their conversation is pretty much what was in there, uh, them discussing... Uh, Nynaeve asking uh, Egwene to become her apprentice and, you know, just that, that discussion that was already there after, you know, Egwene's parents went to bed. Uh, yeah, just having that, uh, that extra little, little bit in there just seems a little gratuitous, but even though they're not really showing anything, you know, yeah. it's, Yeah. Hi, I'm Dr. Pengalod. What seems to be ailing you today? Doc, it's the strangest thing. Every night after I've gone to bed, just as I start to drift off, I start yelling out strange words like Shire, Frodo, and Gollum. Last night I even yelled Mordor. I really don't know what to do. Ah, yes. I've been seeing this a lot lately. What you're experiencing is called Tolkien in your sleep. It's caused by an acute Lord of the Rings deficiency. Tolkien in my sleep? Oh no, that sounds serious. Don't worry, don't worry. It, it's really common right now. It can be treated with a very simple prescription. Here, take this. It's called Watch Party Lord of the Rings. Watch Party Lord of the Rings? It's a great podcast where they talk about everything related to Lord of the Rings. They go deep into the lore, talk about the film trilogy, old cartoon adaptations, and Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. Listen to it once a week and you'll stop Tolkien in your sleep in no time. Side effects of Watch Party Lord of the Rings may include happiness, giggling, merrymaking, jollification, witty banter, inner peace, enlightenment, and excessive Tolkien while awake. Caution, Watch Party Lord of the Rings may be addictive. And then our next uh, uh, different scene uh, that was missing from, from what we saw um, is when Moraine goes uh, wandering around town and, and has her little conversation with Nynaeve. Um, 
in the show, we see Nynaeve inside the cave scrubbing the rocks and trying to, to clean up their sacred cave. Um, in the script, she actually finds Nynaeve digging a grave for that little lamb that she used in, in the uh, opening scene in that cave. Which is... Gives you a little insight into her, into her personality. Well, yeah, and a closure to the ceremony that the ceremony, you know, is, in seeing uh, ceremonies that involve like either a sacrifice or something like that, seeing how they handle the aftermath is an interesting insight into how that society treats that. Right. And, you know, you've got the sacred pool there, so you're not going to yeah. just leave a lamb corpse in there. Yeah. And I, I and, hope not. That's but, disgusting. But digging a grave for it shows a, a level of respect. Exactly. Um, you know, they could have said like, okay, well, th- we used up this lamb. Now let's, let's go turn it into a pie or, you know, let's go throw it in the woods and let the coyotes take it or something. But they exactly. didn't do any of that. They, they were like, you, you gave your life for this very ceremonial and important purpose to us. We are going to honor you by, by giving you a proper burial. So, yeah. Some respect. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm of really of two minds about that scene. I mean, on the one hand, it does give us more about Nynaeve's character. She's, completely and unreservedly committed to doing what she needs to do. No hesitation, no second thoughts, no regrets. She needs to make the sacrifice. She absolutely will. So it's a good scene in terms of showing us her personality very early on. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think actual animal sacrifice would be a little off-putting for some of the people that you might want to be watching the show. So it's true, true. purely practical terms. It's probably a good thing they left it out. Yeah. Uh, with our with our series, is the actress who plays Nynaeve taller than the actress who plays Moraine? I'm not sure. Because I there was just an interesting thing I noted where it says she stands up tall, even a little taller than Moraine. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that in the books, Moraine is actually very tiny. Moraine okay. is like five foot nothing. Five foot gotcha. nothing, five foot two, somewhere in that area. So um Rosamund Pike is definitely larger than Moraine is is described in the books. Yeah. And that that's part of Moraine's power in the books is she's this absolutely tiny human being and yet she is one of the most powerful people around which commands with presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's a, a thing that she does a lot. She commands with that presence. You know, she's the shortest person in the room but everybody's paying attention to her. Um and you know I've I've heard some issues with that from some people who mostly short people who wanted the short representation of Moraine not being a, a short person. But I, you know, I I can spin that around and say Rand is supposed to be six foot six and he's not. So, yeah. <laughs> and also um, a very pale redhead. Yeah. Which he's, he's <laughs> not very pale, you know. Uh, well, I... Josh Yosha is not uh uh he, those those are wigs. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, they I I don't think they actually tried to necessarily find an actual honest redhead to play a redhead in this. Right. So Zoe Robbins and Rosamund Pike are both five foot eight. Oh, there we go. Okay. They're not super tall. Yeah, it's just, just tiptoes to make short. that scene work. Um, the next big change that I want to address, um, it's, it takes place in the town square. It says Rand is getting ready to leave, to go back to the farm, to do his chores for the day. Um, 
and he and Matt are having a conversation, and Matt comes out with a strong accent saying, what the fuck is a badger doing in my bag? As they're talking about <laughs> some story that they, they went through a long time ago. Just coming well, at the end of the anecdote. Yeah. Um, well, this is this is a direct shout out for book readers because when Rand comes to town at the beginning of the books, he runs into Matt, who has just freshly caught a badger and put it in a bag and wants to release it on the green during the town festival the next day. So. <laughs> and the accent? Well, the, the accent there was they were talking about whoever's whoever it was that they stuffed the badger in his bag. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I'm guessing it was probably a, a, a guard for a wagon train or something along those lines, but yeah. Uh, so it, it, it's just a, a, I, I love that in the script, they, they still got the shout out to Matt and the, the badger in a sack. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I can see why it was cut. I feel like badger in a sack needs to be somebody's uh, cover band. Yeah. <laughs> we are badger in the sacks. <laughs> S-A-X, yes, absolutely. S-A-X. A lot of brass in that band. I love it. Yes. Yes. But yeah, they're using badgers as mutes, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a whole different noise. Oh, yeah. Um, and then great thing about that. And then Greg pointed out another uh, small little change here, um, and that's uh, during the the lights festival. Um, Moraine kind of wanders around town during during the lights festival. And we saw that in the show, but in in the script, she actually gets stopped by by Egwene's mother, Marin Alvier, for a moment. And Marin says, "Come, even I so die are allowed their grief." And I'm not sure why that that was necessarily cut. Probably just for time. They they probably got down to the point where they had to just find five seconds here and five seconds there to fit for time. But uh, I, I really kind of wish that had been in there. Yep. Another thing, and this isn't a change uh, in the script, but it's something I wanted to bring up. In in a previous episode, I had talked about uh, there was a Trolloc in in one in the entire book series who spoke. Um, and that is the Trolloc that attacks Rand and Tam in their house. And uh, the Trolloc's name was Narg. And I just wanted you guys to know that because Narg, <laughs> Narg is, is an awesome Trolloc. He's the only one who speaks in the entire series. His, 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 he says pretty much what you expect a Trolloc to say. He's like Shakespearean lines. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Yes. I am the contaminator. Narg smart. Narg smart? Narg smart. Narg, know you come back. Narg, take you see Mirdraw. You know, Narg related to Snarf from Battlecats. <laughs> <from Battlecast. laughs> <laughs> Which also related to Picky in the Brain. Narf. <laughs> Point. <laughs> Which, yeah, I think that's about about the, the level that we're working at with. with the Are we Picky in oh. the Fade? Is that going to be the next spinoff? <laughs> Picky and the, the Fade. It's Picky, Picky and the Fade. The fade. One is a demon, the other's insane. <laughs> I think so, Fate. But how are we going to get the Trolloc to wear the fishnets? <laughs> <laughs> so you were saying, uh, talking yeah. <laughs> to uh, Continuing our intellectual discussion. Our, our next missing scene, it's not so much a missing scene, it's just a few missing... Uh, um, lines 
but Siobhan pointed them out as being very important. So uh, why don't you, you uh, bring those up for us, Siobhan? Um, so right after the scene where Matt goes running looking for his sisters, um, Egwene and Nynaeve have like a three-line conversation uh, where Egwene says, we need the Aes Sedai. Nynaeve, what? No, she's the one who's doing this. Egwene, then we're already dead. Our only chance is that she's on our side. Yeah, so like it's it's you, this very uh, very brief scene that just shows how much Nynaeve doesn't trust the Aes Sedai to the point that she believes that the woman brought in the Trollocs to attack them. Well, I, I can also see them seeing that scene as not that necessary as I think they made it quite clear how much Nynaeve does not trust the Aes Sedai. Yeah. So I yeah. think they did it without that scene specifically, but I, it is a cool scene. Yeah. No, I think this makes it like this is that's more pronounced than I felt her distrust was portrayed because that there's a difference between they're bad and they want to murder our entire village. Right. Yeah. So one of the conversations that we had before we started uh, recording today's episode was just that when you look at the script, it looks like so much more of the story is text. And when they actually. um film the show what we saw there was a lot more subtext i think it yeah. almost feels like the show trusted the audience to draw more conclusions about people's feelings and opinions based on their behavior rather than having these little conversations they say oh and by the way hate you <laughs> yeah <laughs> for reasons <laughs> yeah yeah i agree and i mean we don't need naive saying that to know how Nynaeve feels about Moraine and, and Aes Sedai in general. That comes across. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Uh, it, it, it's demonstrating that the producers of the show feel like the audience are likely to be able to figure the shit out and interpret and think, which is good. Yeah. Yes. Well, then again, you also realize that a spec script or a pilot script like this is also targeted to the executives. So they may need to have stuff spelled out. Good point. That's true. That, you you have a very valid point when you're when you say that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then our next missing scene. Um, this this we got a little bit of this scene later on in episode seven, I think it was, uh, when Rand finally decides that he's the dragon reborn, and and we get a flashback of him dragging Tam back into the two rivers and Tam having some fever dreams and this was actually originally supposed to be in the first episode um with rand trying to get tam from the farmhouse back into town um and encountering the the fade and the trollocs on the road a couple times and, and hiding as they go past and you know very much feeling like uh the opening of of fellowship of the ring and the escape from hobbiton um and I can see why they removed that from the show. It it didn't add to the story right there, and it made it more obvious who the dragon was, I think, especially with Tam's fever dreams and fever rantings that, that uh, he starts going on here. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that that's, I, I can see why they cut that scene for time and for clarity. Yes. I mean, it's it's got a little bit of the uh, little bit of sort of the the Jon Snow origin story parallel in there too. You know, finding the finding the baby with the 
you know, with, with the mother and taking it home, uh, but not being very honest about what the story, you know, what the full story is. Yeah. Yeah. So that foundling. Yeah. In, in the books, uh, he brings the baby back to, to Kari, his wife, who could not carry a child and uh, they just adopted it as their own. And when they returned to the two rivers, they never told anyone that they just found this baby on the hillside. They just said it was our baby and every, yep. nobody had any reason to think otherwise. So, um, and then moving on, the only other major difference that I notice is uh, at the end of the episode, um, our, our, our big statement, the wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again, is not given to us by Moraine, but was given to us by Guitar Moroso in the original script. And uh, yeah, minor change there. And I wonder if that meant that he was hoping to use Guitar Moroso voiceovers for other things in the show, but I'm I'm kind of glad that it ended up being Moraine doing that in that. Yeah. That's instead. got a little bit of a desperate housewives kind of vibe. It yeah. is interesting that it has, that it's, that it's Moraine, but it would have been interesting also to have uh, that, that kind of detached feeling, not somebody you're watching that's telling you this story. And it has kind of this dual purpose as it's the person who did the prediction kind of, is this all part of the prediction? Is this all things that are being told to Moraine? back at the beginning of all of this. So, I mean, it, yeah. it would have been interesting. I like what they went and did though. I, I kind of yeah. like the, the idea that I can't remember who it was who brought it up, but somebody pointed out earlier that you also get the sense that this story is being told by somebody who survived all these events, that they're mm -hmm. sitting, you know, in a lecture hall somewhere and writing it all down. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I kind of yeah. like the fact that they, didn't go with the character who we already have established just died before the story started. Yeah. The omniscient ghost. Yeah. And, and I'm happy that they, they did not go with Katara because I mean, as a book reader, I can tell you most people probably don't even remember her name. Um, she, in the books, she appeared on like two pages and those were the two pages in the prequel where she was relevant. And, and, you know, like I said, most people don't even remember her name. I was even unclear as to whether she was the Amerlin or the, the, the Keeper of the Chronicles. So, you know, she was not a major influencing character in, in the books other than, you know, having this, this major prophecy. So the fact that she did not end up getting that big of a role is, is I think, is a good thing, in, in my opinion. No, but looking at this, though, for a quick second from the industry side of things, mm -hmm. had they gotten, like, Judy Dench or somebody, like, yeah, so... Yeah so that that that's how you get that person in the series without having to pay them so much is they're not on camera for the whole series. They're this person you meet at the beginning and then they're occasionally a voiceover. Yeah. That's probably how that would have been done is with a very, very amazing actress. Yeah. Who's and, and, and we don't know that we would, that they would have necessarily brought the voiceover back for more episodes, but if it, the way this is set up, it kind of feels like they may have had that in mind and yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we, we smash to black is, is how it ends. End of episode one. And that's, uh, those are the major changes that were made between the, the initial, uh, pilot script and what happened. Uh, just thought it would be fun to dive through that, have some fun with that. Thought I it would be. It, I was going to say, I think it's neat knowing it. I yeah. like what we got. Mm -hmm. I think it's neat knowing this stuff. 
Yep. Um, the the things I would really like to see at this point now are the in original scripts for episodes seven and eight, because we know that they had to change those scripts drastically, both to deal with uh, the fact that Barney Harris had, had left the, the show um, and to deal with the fact that they were now under massive COVID restrictions and couldn't film. We know that a lot of those scenes were were we're supposed to have a lot more extras and things. The major battle at the end was supposed to be, well, a major battle and not just, you know, five girls against a, a big bunch of Trollocs coming at them. Um, and, you know. But that one in specific could have been done with a lot more. I mean, they've, the CGI stuff they've done with battles, you yeah. do you do a wide shot, you do a, bl- a bunch of uh, CGI people. They can do that now where it looks really impressive. So it's it's interesting that they didn't choose to to do that for this. They can do that now where it looks really impressive when they have the budget of Lord of the Rings. Valid, yeah. valid. Yeah. <laughs> but I also, I can see somebody like, look, we can't get 300 people together right now. Let's find out how we can do this. Yeah. Um, well, and, and you need a lot less, a lot smaller budget with a C, for CGI when you're doing, when you're using something that's already been done. Like, that's true. Lord of the Rings like set the stage for a lot of those techniques. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we 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 know that they really had to rework work their scripts for those two episodes, and that's why I would like to see those two episodes, the the scripts from them, to do a, a, a an episode like this around them. I doubt we'll ever those will ever see the light of day. Maybe they will at some point. Um, I agree with I, you. I'd love to see it too. I think this is the point where we we try to get that to manifest somehow. Mm. Um, <laughs> Use our powers. Then for... all of the cutting room floor dialogue for Narg. Yes. <laughs> we got to get Pinky and the Narg, or you know, Pinky and the Fade. Nard's a character in Pinky and the Fade. Yes, that is that is correct. This episode is brought to you by Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some lovely art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and, of course, The Wheel of Time. You all really should check out 4Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number four and cats with a K. 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. Mailbag! Mailbag! Uh, we've got uh, three letters to get through this week, so Ooh. let's get right to them. Um, first letter from our listener, Seth. Uh, Seth has written into us before, um, but uh, it, something funny about Seth? Yes, it's an old story. Uh, <laughs> my wife and uh, some friends of ours went out to breakfast one Mother's Day, and we had a waiter named Seth who followed everything he said with, sorry, uh, can I take your, sorry. And then he left before everybody's order was taken. Sorry. And he dropped a tray of drinks. It was, oh boy. Yeah. Seth has become sort of a legend around our house. Ah, well, I don't think it's the same Seth. If it is, uh, yes, if, yes. If, if I, it is I hope, the same Seth, well, sorry, Seth. Sorry, Seth. I, uh, I really <laughs> hope this, this letter ends with sorry, but yeah. go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually this, this is a great letter. Um, Seth says, I've written in before, but I wanted to thank you for the recent episode discussions. Um, I'm a straight white dude, so I'm new to many of the topics you're discussing. I hope you will forgive my ignorance regarding colorism, but what is the difference between colorism and simply casting actors that they liked for the roles? 
My wife and I have, have an adopted daughter who is black and fairly dark skinned, so I genuinely want to learn about things like this that may affect her in the future. Um, and th- that's Seth's entire letter. Um, and yep. yeah, that, that's a really good uh, question to bring up, Seth. Uh, we actually had um, members of the, of the panel after that episode who, who were not entirely up to, d- did not entirely understand colorism either. So I guess I probably really should have explained that in the episode. Um, knowing if, if people on our panel didn't know what it was, I sh- probably should have expected people in, in our audience to know that, not know that as well. To know, to not know that. Yeah, I, my words are starting to stumble over each other here. But uh, yeah, colorism. What is colorism? Colorism is, it, it, it's uh, within the BIPOC community, the, the Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Um, Obviously, all of those wonderful people come in various skin tones. Colorism is the idea that has taken hold in a lot of people that lighter skin tones equal better. Darker skin tones equal not as good. It, it, it's basically based on, on white supremacy. And, and it's, it's one of the things that comes from the fact that we've lived in a white supremacist world for so long that we just don't even recognize little things like this when they happen, even though they usually happen without conscious effort. Right. This is and just, it's, it's yeah. not just an American phenomenon either. It's also a part of yeah. the caste system in, you know, Indian in, cultures. In, yeah. In India and, and in Southeast Asia, there is a lot of colorism that, that goes on between yeah. various people. And, and that is what colorism is. It is not, you know, it is not just basic racism. It is, it, it's more granular than that. And, 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 and it can happen to anyone. It, it's not a, a thing that white people put upon people who are not white. It, it happens within those communities themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and like we said, it's usually not a conscious thing. It's just something that has kind of been put there by society over several centuries that, you know, yeah. So, so yeah. It's, it's it's worth noting just on on that note, like within yeah. Japan, it can be traced back to like the eighth century. Um, in India, it goes back to the Mughal Empire and the uh, the Muslim conquest. Like, so it pr- long predates white colonialism, but white settler colonialism has really uh, empowered it. Essentially, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It made it more carried it made it stronger. Yeah, very much so. Um. And uh, so, Seth, I hope that that helps you understand what we were talking about. Uh, thank you for the question, Seth. Um, and uh, thank you for listening. We, we love that you're a listener. We, and, uh, you know, good on, good on you and your wife for, for uh, helping out and, and adopting a child. Uh, yes. Yes. We, 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 many of my favorite characters in media are adopted and... I think that people who adopt are amazing. Um, yeah. Tam Althor, he's an adoptive father. And and we can all see how amazing he is. Tam is Rand's dad. So, yeah. Keep adopting. Yes. So, hello, Seth. This is uh, Siobhan speaking. Um, we're doing a little, something a little unusual, this uh, response to your letter, because um, at the time that Ruark first read it out, I was busy having um, emotions. So I had to go off and deal with those first for a while. And then Rourke kindly allowed me to come back and record this after the fact. Um, 
your letter hit me kind of hard because uh, when I was 17 years old, I put my daughter up for adoption. Um, at the time, I was living in a place that was very dangerous and uh, very violent. And the best way I could, I had to protect her was to kind of launch her off into the world uh, with the hope that there were better places for her where she would, she could find safety. Um, she reached out and got in touch with me uh, 22 years later, um, and we have a relationship now, and she is a wonderful person. Um, and I got to meet her, the family that raised her, and they are lovely people. They they loved her. They cared for her. Um, they still love her. They still take care of her. Um, it is the best possible outcome I could have dreamed of. But for those 22 years, you are... I was always worried about where she had ended up. So um, I just asked Rurika if I could have this opportunity to say thank you to you for giving your daughter a safe place to land, for respecting her needs, and reaching out to find out more uh, ways in which you can care and support her. So. Um, that is my message to you, and thank you. And then uh, we've got another fan mail. This is from Josiah. Uh, Josiah says, hello, everyone at Watch Party Watt. Uh, I found the show through my friend and one of your panelists, Samaria. So uh, Josiah is one of Samaria's friends. And I actually I actually uh, talked to Samaria about this, and uh, she said, yeah, Josiah is like, her best friend from growing up like you know they, they they grew up together they know each other the this is like uh her two rivers crew right here yes um so uh josiah says i've been listening since the beginning and been enjoying each episode so far wheel of time has always been on my radar whether it be through booktube or a few dozen fantasy subreddits but i never got around to undertaking the 15 book journey I was glad to see that there was a podcast that would be discussing not just the new show, but also the lore, theories, and characters in the series. In a way, I'm enjoying discovering the show with you all and hearing your theories and commentaries more than I probably would enjoy reading the books by myself. I've been meaning to send fan mail for a while now, but I'm glad I waited because I just finished the first part of the diversity and inclusion discussion. I have to say that it's probably my favorite episode from you all so far. You are all already friendly and welcoming, but I felt like I got to know everyone just a little bit more through this one. I also loved everyone's commentary on how some of the some how the show handles diversity and inclusion, as well as how they can improve. I can't wait to hear the next few parts, as I always leave each episode feeling like I've learned something new. Unlike Robert Jordan, I'm going to keep things as brief as possible. <laughs> Thank you all so much for doing this show, bringing your individual experiences and knowledge to the table, and giving me a nice rush of dopamine when a new episode comes out. Shout out to Jordan for making the episode sound superb. And finally, I too am also waiting for Ruark to give the okay to start reading the series. Happy wheeling, Joe. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Joe. Joe. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, it's a wonderful letter. Uh, thank you for, for writing into us. I, I love that, uh, that you're an, an old childhood friend of Samaria's. Um, any, well, any friend of Samaria's is an awesome person in my book because yeah. she yes. is one of the most awesome people I know. So I also love the term keep wheeling. <laughs> yeah i'm adopting that <laughs> and then we've got uh one more mailbag uh this one from our friend brian 
Brian says, dear Ruark and company, since you've done a couple, since you've gone a couple of times without mail, I thought I'd send you a missive to let you know how much I enjoy listening to you when I can. It makes my driving a lot more enjoyable, although I can't listen to it when I've got my children in the car, as some of you may have a saltier tongue that then is appropriate for kids under the age of 10. I'm looking at you, Axel. <laughs> and and I'm going to say Axel's not the only one with a salty tongue. Axel, it's just a lot more obvious when Axel does it because he does it with, or excuse me, they do it with an accent. Right. <laughs> and if, if I were to do it, it could be, you know, it could be confused for David. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we share the blame. <laughs> Apart from that, I've thoroughly loved listening to you all in your discussions about all things Watt-related and adjacent. I love the different perspectives each of you bring to the table, and listening to you chat amongst yourselves makes me wish I had a group of friends that I could geek out about Watt with. Axel's histor historical perspectives are always fun to listen to, and I honestly think that they have a shot moonlighting as a professor of medieval fantasy studies, if such a thing exists. Oh, thank you. The rest of the panel is just as insightful, bringing your unique ideas and experiences to the discussion. My experience of reading Watt started back when the first book came out, and it was so uncool to like fantasy novels. I was only able to read fantasy novels at home, away from school, and that interest was shared only by one of my older sisters, who by the time of the world came out had outgrown fantasy and moved on to more adult fare. So subsequently, I had no one to talk about Watt with. Listening to you all jabber away and utter phrases like, do we know if the Fist of Trollocs is from only one band? Makes my inner Watner jump with joy. <laughs> and I have to say, I, I, I brought this up a couple episodes ago, but same, same, just hard same on that. Um, hearing all of you go from complete newbies to using in-world terms on the regular and, and coming up with ideas that I didn't even think of, it, it, it brings me huge joy. Um, and Brian goes on to say, and what really makes my fist pump is hearing Siobhan pronounced Tuatha on correctly. Looking at you, Ruark. <laughs> all I have to say to that is Tuathu on. Tuathu Rub it in, why don't you? Tuathu on. Point for my um, side. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> It has been awesome to hear each of your stories during the 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 last uh, episode. Um, being an Asian American, it is awesome to see Daniel Henny killing it as one of my favorite characters, and not having to do kung fu to do it. Your discussions bring home the fact that diversity and inclusion do matter, even if it's not done perfectly, and it matters to a whole lot of people. Thank you all for sharing your stories and your vulnerabilities. I know how hard that can be. Sorry for the long diatribe. I'll just wrap up with a couple requests and questions. One, is there any way that we can catalog all of the different theories and conjectures that you've had over the last season? One of my favorite things is to hear people contemplate all the different mysteries that Robert Jordan put into the books, particularly being on the other side and knowing all of the spoilers. I don't know how Ruark manages not to blurt out the answers half the time. You know, everybody who writes in says that, and I will give you the same answer I give everybody else. I have no idea. I, I really don't know how I do it. <laughs> it is so <laughs> difficult at times. It is the focus of your patience. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so seeing all of those theories and keeping scores it were, as it were would be a fun game for us knowing us who us readers who who knows what's going to happen. Um, and I'm going to say I'm I'm not keeping a hard catalog, but there are definitely 
things that people have said in the first six or eight episodes that ring through my head that I'm just waiting for that point in the show to come up so I can go back and find those recordings and replay them for you. Um, we apparently and, need a brown eye to die. Any, yeah. Any yeah. Takers we, we, out there. Yeah. We, we need, uh, if there's anybody who wants to, uh, take that on and come up with all of the, the wacky ideas that people have come up with on the show so far, uh, we would love that. Uh, to have a spreadsheet of shame. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just been named the spreadsheet of shame. There you go. Uh, second, uh, from Brian, uh, do have any of you started changing your opinion on who your favorite characters are since the beginning of the podcast? Mm, not really. No. It's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, I haven't found my person that I just, you know, completely, uh, you know, just compl- like, you know, Samaria has with, with Nynaeve, that is her yeah. person. So, well, uh, well uh, Samaria is, is, is Swan. Nynaeve is who Samaria is. Swan is true. who Na- Samaria wants to be. That's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> I like that distinction. But, yeah. Yes. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> so, so Rurak, you said you had a mental idea of who everybody's favorite was going to be. Yes. But has they also noted the person that some you, people's hasn't come out yet. Like the, some that's right. the question some I was going to ask. Try. Uh, I know mine hasn't appeared. Yeah. Yours has not appeared. Yeah. Um, I, I, well with you, I, there was a half a chance for, uh, um, Tom. Mm -hmm. Um, but knowing you, I think even if you had latched onto Tom, there are other characters that I think you're going to latch onto harder. Yeah. Um, I think DW has claimed Tom. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's not like you only one person could be a fan of somebody, but yes, yes, I, I am a big fan of Tom so far. I think, I think yes, if this is going to be a Polly favorites thing, then we need yes. to establish yeah. the ground well, well, rules it, right it, now. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> Are we allowed to share favorites? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. Everybody's allowed to share favorites, obviously. Um, I, I mean, I've said several times as we as new characters come up this is one of my favorite characters but it's because they're all my favorite characters right you know you can have as many favorite characters as you want yeah that Um, could be a drinking game of this podcast every time rurik says this is my favorite character yeah there's a there's a there's a a drinking game for our next season closer when we're all uh there you go that was a fantastic Um, episode with the drinking (laughs) um and uh, so, so does anybody else? Did anybody um, have a different favorite character towards the beginning, or were thinking they were going to have a different favorite character, then switched as as the show went on? Tom is still running strong for me. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so either. I think I I I like so many of them. Yeah, I don't think I've really picked a favorite yet. And I think like all the characters have pretty much been the characters they were introduced as. Yeah. I don't, we for, haven't for the seen most any part, yeah. massive changes or reasons to go, Hey, wait a minute. Oh, well, is that possibly Pat and Fane? Yeah. That was more. But, but he was always sus from the beginning. Yeah. He was sus, but we didn't realize how sus. Yeah. yeah right, that's right. true. I will say I really liked Pat and Fane at the beginning, and I still like him as a character, but I thought I was going to like him for different reasons. 
thought he'd be a scoundrel, not necessarily a genocidal yeah, maniac. Like a fun, like, oh man, he's gonna be in there. He's gonna be getting people in trouble, but every once in a while, he'll save him at the last second. You know, the Han Solo of the crew. No, not even. Not no. even. No. 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 Um, and then uh, the the next question from from uh, Brian is, who are your favorite candidates for closet dark friends? Ooh. Is there anybody that you suspect is a dark friend that has has not been revealed yet as a dark friend? Oh, that's a good question. Mm, that really is. Got to think on that one. Loyal. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would make an excellent closet dark friend because no one would see that coming. I I was going to say that's, that's right up there with the Jar Jar Binks as a Sith Lord. It's like, it's so ridiculous. It has to be true. Kind of thing. Yes. I'm sure that we've met an Aes Sedai who is a dark friend. I don't know which one. Um, I think sure we have already yeah. established that according to Tower Protocol, uh, the no, Black no, Aja no. does not exist. You uh, have right. told us their stance on it. That does not mean we agree. Right. <laughs> their their PR notice that you so politely read on their behalf does not mean we have to buy that. Okay, I'm just saying. Yeah. Only for <laughs> one, I'm not going to argue with people who can bring down lightning to explode their enemies. Yes. Right. That's 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 good. Always I think, good policy. Why would somebody like that have any reason to lie about anything ever? <laughs> so I think the show is I trying mean, to would... imply that Matt is likely to turn in that direction, but I don't know that yeah, that's which, actually which... gonna turn out that way. Yeah, that smells of red herring. Well, really I would does. also say that I think it was unintentional to a certain extent because his not being in the last two episodes part is part of why that's so an interesting direction. And then, like, what what would it have been had he not had to bow out? So, mm. like, I, I think we don't have yeah, um, a, a true view on that. I'm trying to think of like where the writing would go, where the book would go. I don't think that is a factor. To so, one thing I can tell you for certain, um, and this isn't from book knowledge because the way things played out at the end is not the the same way that they played out in the book. Um, but I can tell you, and Rafe has, has come forward and said that Perrin's interactions with Pat and Fane in the final episode were intended for Matt. Hmm. So. Okay. All I have to say is that if Uno turns out to be a dark friend, I quit. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both, buddy. You and me both. Okay, that 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 knowledge though that Padden Fane's comments were to Matt makes so much more sense since Matt was the one who was first connecting with him in the first episode. Yeah, right. and and so also the so fact that he has Matt's old dagger. Yeah, yeah. that mm-hmm. yeah. scene would have had so much more significance. So there were earlier scenes where, where uh, you know, Perrin was the one that had noticed Padden Fane. Yeah. He th- I thought he saw him out the corner of his eye. So there's some connection there too. But that was in the same episode. And I believe that if Matt had been there, that the, it would have been Matt going, was that Patton Fane? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I, I really think that everything that Perrin did in that episode in relation to Pat and Fane was originally intended for Matt. Gotcha. So Matt was okay. supposed yeah. to go through the ways with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. All right. So. Um, Thank you, Brian. You've brought all these secrets to light. <laughs> yes. 
So I guess the question is, is are they going to rewrite later episodes to make sense of Matt not being there in the last two episodes, or are they going to ret- you know, are they going to try to bring it back in line with the books? Um, I, to be honest, they won't have to do much to bring everything back in line. Um, okay. I don't see that this is going to be a major bump in the storyline in any way whatsoever. Okay. Um, I'll, I, I'm, I have not said this previous to this, but I will be honest with you. Everything that happens in the first book is pretty, um, like, like I, I wouldn't say unimportant. It, it's all basic world building, but you know, this is a 15 book series. The, mm-hmm. the trust me, book one is, is, is you forget about most of the, the fine details of book one by the end. And, and they, they don't carry that level of importance to the end. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't see that Matt missing for two episodes is going to be that hard for them to bring back into line. Okay. Um, and then we do have one more, one more, uh, thing here from Brian. He says, can we have a Watt related cooking slash bartending episode, please? Ooh. And saying that I would know why he's asking this. And I do know why he's asking that because, uh, Brian helped me out on one of my Facebook groups. We did a, a, uh, drinks, uh, drinks to be served at the, the opening. And Brian, uh, was a wonderful, um, knowledgeable bartender and came up with a number of awesome mixed drinks, uh, which I still have not tried any of those because unfortunately I really don't drink. I, I, I drinking is not I something do. I do, but and yes, we we yeah. your <laughs> team <laughs> is here for you. <laughs> yes. so, uh, so apparently uh, there's your answer, Brian, uh, send in some of those drink recipes and I'll share them with the crew and we'll get them loaded and then have an episode and see what happens. How does that sound? I'm looking forward to trying the, the Trollocs fist. <laughs> oh, oh man! <laughs> so, so that's going to be uh, what Irish cream and ice one hundred and one, something like that. Ooh, yeah. That would get, get a good old cement maker in there. For the listener, that was not an ooh. That was a. Ugh. <laughs> And with that letter from Brian, I think we're going to call this episode a wrap. It's a little bit shorter than we've been running lately, but that's okay. Uh, this we, is about we long as we were originally planning on yeah. episodes being. Yeah, right. when we first put this podcast together, I think I said something about I want the episodes to be between 45 minutes and an hour, and I don't think we've ever gotten anywhere near that since the first episode. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this this is a little, little shorter than usual, but we're still going to call it an episode. Uh, thanks once again to Michael and Jen out at the Watch Watchtime. Watch Party Secret Island headquarters. And, uh, thank you, Michael and thank Jen. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Secret Island. And not that I know anything specific yet, but maybe keep your eyes open for some more Watch Party podcasts in the near future. Um, and uh, we also want to say thank you to me because I'm awesome. Yes, you are. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where that came from. I just felt like saying it. Uh, final question. <laughs> For our panel, uh, hey panel, what are we going to do tonight? The same, same thing, thing we do, we do every, every night. night. Try, Try to, to take, take over, over the, the world. world. It's Nargi and the brain. It's Nargi and the brain. One is demon, the other is insane. We're all out of sync. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, song is gonna stink. <laughs>
It's Nargi. It's Nargi. Nargi and the Brain. And we fade on the Brain. <laughs>